millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Bits of Gold, episode 111. Today's episode is all about living with intention while building a business and life on your terms. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you are new to Bits of Gold, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you were here. Second, please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. More subscribers help attract more amazing guests to help better serve you with amazing content on how to live with more purpose. Now let's get to it. Imagine waking up and living life on your terms. Waking up each day doing exactly what you want, when you want, with who you want. On today's episode, that is exactly what we are talking about. How to live your life with tremendous intention. How to have the self-awareness to decide what you want and to make the change in your life so you can wake up and live your dream life each and every day. Today, my guest is Justin Welsh. Justin is an entrepreneur who previously helped build two companies to $50 million plus in annual recurring revenue. He managed teams of 150 plus people and those companies collectively raised over $300,000 in venture capital. Today, he's building a portfolio of one-person businesses to $5 million in revenue. To me, the biggest bits of gold in this episode and in Justin's story is that you decide what you want your life to be. You can ultimately decide to rewrite your life at any point, regardless of how good things are going. If you're not happy, if you're feeling burnt out, if you're feeling that you need to make change, there will never be a right time. There will never be a perfect time. And it's never too late to make that change. You're never in too deep into exactly what you're doing, into your profession. The time is now. You can make the exact change that you want today, right now. On paper, Justin had it all. An amazing executive role at a fast-growing startup. But he eventually reached a point of burnout. He reached this point of unhealthy living. And he had the self-awareness to completely rewrite his life script. He became hyper-intentional about the life he wanted to live. The changes he wanted to manifest. And basically, he created a new life little by little. Well, actually, not so little by little at all. He and his wife flew to Nashville. They bought the first house they saw, drove across the country, and began their new life. Today, he very much lives doing exactly what he wants, when he wants, with who he wants. He's living his life on his terms. He's building a diversified portfolio of internet companies and runs a boutique advisory firm for entrepreneurs and creates digital products for creators. He has a tremendous following on LinkedIn of over 250,000 followers. And through this huge platform that he's built, he's helping others build a life on their terms with more intention. And now let's welcome Justin Welsh to the show. Justin Welsh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Dan, thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I've been following you on LinkedIn for quite some time now, and it's been absolutely fascinating to watch you on there, watch your personal page continue to like grow in terms of engagement, followers, and um, little by little, watch what you've been building in, in your business. And I'm so excited to sh- share your story today. Thanks, man. It's been a, it's been a really interesting and wild ride. So happy to happy to share it with the audience. Awesome. Yeah. 
I'd love if you could share a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Sure. My name's Justin Welsh, and I'm the founder of a business which doesn't have a very interesting name. It's just called Justin D. Welsh, LLC. And uh, essentially what I do is I'm a creator with multiple revenue streams online, and I run about four to five different one-person businesses. It's just me and no employees. And prior to this uh, sort of online creator game, I was a former executive operator. So I was a chief revenue officer at a SaaS company for five years, uh, helped grow the business from its first dollar in revenue up to about 50 million in recurring. Prior to that, I spent another six years in tech. And before that, I was a meandering, terrible salesperson in the middle of nowhere, Ohio and Michigan from the first seven years of my career. But I think what most folks might know me from is just, you know, writing online, writing on LinkedIn, writing on Twitter, you know, my weekly newsletter, and that all powers my one person business. Wow, amazing. So I do want to take it back to sort of the beginning of your journey. But I think one of the things that really fascinates me about what you're building is if you look back and you were to just, let's just use LinkedIn as the example here, if you were to be scrolling on LinkedIn, land on your profile before you started your own business. Someone might say, wow, this guy has the dream job, absolutely killing it. You know, you were a part of two extremely fast growing startups. You helped them achieve 50 million in annual recurring revenue. Collectively, those companies raised over $300 million in venture capital. And you ultimately, I know in, in your story, in your content, you talk about burnout, but you ultimately decided to leave that behind and really, in, in, from my perspective, go out and build the life you wanted, the life that you were manifesting in your mind, this life of intention and, and meaning. And, you know, that's always just such a fascinating journey because I think a lot of people want to do that, mm-hmm. but they stay at that job, even if it's a job maybe that they like, but maybe they have other dreams that they're interested in pursuing. And that's what I'm so fascinated by in your story and hoping that we could dive into today. Absolutely. I'm pretty transparent about what happened at my previous roles and how I was feeling and how it all manifested into the job that I have today. But I was fortunate enough, and this is a really weird thing to say fortunate, I was fortunate enough to not really have a choice. Like I kind of had a massive burnout in late 2018, early 2019. So as fun as it sounds or as comfortable as it sounds to say, stepped away from my role, Mm. it was really more of like a, I didn't really have much of an option. It was either step away or keep going down a pretty destructive path. And so you know, my business today is the result of having to make a change. And once I made that change, it was about sustaining the change that I made and the life that I was creating because it's a much healthier lifestyle the way that I live now than it was as an operator at a SaaS company. I'd love to discuss a little bit about like, what were the things in those moments that made you realize, hey, I need to make change, but also the how you had the self-awareness to actually go about making those changes. Because it's one thing to recognize, oh, like, things aren't going so great, or I'm not so happy. But a lot of people live in that place where it's my life kind of sucks right now. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to actually make that change. So I'd love if you could share a little bit about leading up to burnout, what you were actually experiencing, and then how you had that self awareness to actually start to make some changes in your life. Yeah, I mean, I think the things that led to the change were I had gained 40 pounds, I was having severe anxiety attacks, I was drinking too much, I was eating too much, I wasn't sleeping, the relationship with my wife was strained. Like everything that you might stereotypically come to expect from burnout at a SaaS company, especially when you're in the C-suite dealing with investors and board meetings, it just becomes a lot. And 
it all sort of culminated in late 2018 around Christmas time. I had a panic attack, which brought 911, uh, the EMTs out, and that was pretty serious. And that was like the first big moment, I guess, where I was like, oh, this this is unsustainable. And, you know, I think a lot of folks might feel the same way and maybe not know what to do next. And the interesting thing is I didn't either. And I think it's like it would be a more seamless and smooth story if I told you I had like this really awesome plan to transition out of the executive role and into building my own business, but I didn't. I had a hypothesis. Like I assumed that getting some attention on social media would be helpful, but I had no idea where that was leading to. I I thought that I would be a consultant for SaaS companies, which I ended up being, by the way, in, in the beginning. And so I just started, I just tried. And what I've come to learn is that building a business is, you know, it's about having a hypothesis. It's about thinking about what you're going to do. Nothing happens until you try. And when you start trying, like you realize how very little you know. <laughs> and as soon as you realize how little you know, you start to poke holes in your own business and say, oh, like, you know, I overestimated this or I underestimated this or didn't think about this. And like, it becomes a game of getting one to 2% better every day. And so the whole thing that I did was started by writing because I wanted to get some attention. I wanted to be known for something. And that manifested in a little bit of attention. I got some followers on LinkedIn back in the day. And it went from SaaS consultant to SaaS advisor to LinkedIn creator to full creator. And that has been a learning journey for me as much as anybody else who doesn't know what they're doing over the course of time. Mm. Did you have the thought, I'm just going to go get another job and make content on the side. I'm, I'm curious if that was something that crossed your mind. Yeah. When I went to build my consulting business, my assumption was that I would go back to work at some point, that I would go back to, you know, nine to five work, work at a job, work at a startup. I didn't assume that I'd be working for myself. I thought this was going to be a break, get my mind right, get my body right, get my life right, and then go back and take another swing. That didn't happen. And by the way, like, I'm glad it didn't happen. As I started to write more and build more and start to make a little bit more of an income, I recognized that there was legs to this and that I could keep doing this. And as soon as that happened, I decided to double down and triple down on all the things that were going well. And suddenly I turned being a creator into a full-time business. And I think a lot of people see my social media content and they make these wild assumptions that like, I'm sitting at home, living the dream, drinking margaritas at noon and doing all that kind of stuff. But really... I treat being a creator like a job. You know, I work really hard at it. I work, you know, every single day the same way that I might work at another business. And so my goal is to make sure that nobody takes this away from me. That's how I think about it. I don't really want to scale or grow or make millions and millions of dollars a year. I just want to keep living this lifestyle. And so that's the driving force behind what I do. It's interesting hearing you say you don't want someone to take this from you. Is Where does that come from? It's a good question. I think when you're not building a SaaS business or like a business to scale, survival is the outcome. Like I could swing for the fences and try and turn my business into a $10 million business, but for what? Like I don't want anything else. I don't, I'm not intrigued by boats or mass riches or clothes or watches or collections. Like None of that stuff really motivates me. The thing that motivates me the most is spending time with my family and doing the things that I want to do. And to me, the easiest way to continue to live that life is to make sure that nobody takes it away from you. So it's very much a combo offensive-defensive. Like I go on the offense with content 
and I try and produce as much as possible. I try and produce more than anybody that's that's out there doing it as one person. And then from a defensive perspective, like I try and make safe, small risks that allow me to continue to grow my revenue, but aren't so risky or catastrophic that it could get taken away from me. So it's kind of an interesting way to think about business, but that's how I think about it. Yeah, it sounds like what I'm hearing is that there's just tremendous intention behind why you're doing what you're doing and why you're taking the action or the tactics or the things you're putting in place in your business. Were you always that way? Like when you were building the SaaS businesses or is that something that this is sort of like the evolved version of you? Yeah, you can't be that way when you're building a SaaS business, especially a venture-backed SaaS business. It's kind of grow, 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 grow. And, you know, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I mean like six years ago, it was sort of growth at all costs. And now like efficient growth is certainly becoming much more popular, but it's still growth. And so when I was at my executive role, like the goal was to grow and scale, scale efficiently and effectively. That causes you to make a lot of short-term decisions. It causes you to think about growth sometimes without thinking about efficiency. And so when I built my own business, I sort of asked myself like, what's the end goal? And the end goal was to live a better lifestyle, not to maximize income. And I have these conversations with people all the time where they're like, did you know if you did X or Y or Z or A or B or C, you could make more here, make more there, do more this, do more that. But all the things that they tell me aren't aligned with the lifestyle I want to live. They're aligned with making more income. And I don't need to make more income to live the lifestyle that I want to live. I need to make about the same and just work less. So that is sort of the approach that I take to building this one person business. Mm. I heard on another podcast or I feel like I've read it before on your LinkedIn, but you wrote something to the effect of you try to optimize doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, with who you want to do it. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that's mm -hmm. like kind of like your creator, your manifesto, that's sort of like everything in your life manifests, everything that you do sort of aligns to that? Totally. My ultimate goal, and you captured it well, is to do what I want, when I want, and with whom I want. And that sounds really childish and, and fantastical, but that's not my intention. The intention is essentially to not have to look at my calendar and ever say, man, I really wish I didn't have this thing that I have to do because I found that, I don't know, I don't, that's just not what I want to do. So I, I'd rather look at my calendar and say, I love all these things on this calendar. And those things are things like working out, taking walks, writing content, telling stories, being with my wife, going out for lunch, all the things that I've envisioned as sort of this really intentional life. And so that's what I focus on is making decisions that maximizes the chances that I can stay doing what I want, not maximize revenue, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I'm so aligned with you. You know, I feel like that is the driving force behind a lot of the things that I'm doing now. And I try to sort of map my life or my actions to the things that I want to do, like, very similarly, and I've literally wrote it down uh, way before we connected, like, I want to do a lot more of the things that I want to do and do a lot less of the things I don't want to do and yep. map my life towards the things that give me energy, <clears throat> that make me happy. You know, this is a frustrating topic for me a little bit because there are family members, there are family friends, there are people that, you know, when you're young and in your 20s, if you tell someone, I want to live the life on my terms, I want to go out and do the things that I want to do on my terms. You know, some people will be naysayers and they'll say like, snap out of it or grow up, 
that's not life because that was their their own life experience. I'm just curious what you would tell those people, those naysayers. I don't know that I would have much to say other than I'm doing it currently. So I know it's possible. I mean, it's not perfect, by the way. Like there's, it's not like I never do things I don't want to do. Yeah. Right. Like I think that would be, you know, I, I wouldn't be telling you the truth if, if I said that. It's just my goal, right? Yeah. And so I'm getting closer and closer and closer to sort of this North Star goal, which is spending all of my time really how I want. And by the way, spending all of your time how you want doesn't necessarily mean doing things only for yourself. Sometimes how I spend my time is in service of other people. And I want to do a lot of that. So that's a major part of my business and my mantra in my life. And so I guess what I would tell other people is I appreciate their opinion and their take. I think everybody has context in their life and they look through life and work and pleasure and business through different lenses. And I'm not one to say that lens is wrong or right, but I generally haven't listened to people all that much about whether or not it's possible because I'm more of somebody who'd rather go out and prove to myself whether it either is or isn't possible. And if I go out and try it and I fail miserably every single time, and I can never do it, well, then maybe through my lens, it also becomes impossible. But so far, that hasn't been the case. And therefore, I'll continue to drive as hard as I can towards sustaining this lifestyle even more than, than I have in the past three years. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think as it relates to being intentional and intentionality, like that's something that I always wish when I look back on when I was in college, like it amazes me now that no one sat me down and said, hey, what do you actually want your life to look like? And 10 years from now. And I think a lot of people who are in their early 20s or, you know, even in their 30s, they're sort of just living. If, if they haven't had sort of an aha moment or had someone sit them down and tell them, like, what do you want your life to look like looking backwards? If they haven't had that experience or that moment, you know, a lot of people just sort of like they go get a job based on where life pulls them or takes them. How do you feel people can become more intentional or live with more intention or start to apply that in their own life? You know, not everyone can, unfortunately. I think that a lot of what I've been able to build is, let me preface this by saying I work really hard at it and I spend a lot of my time trying to be better at building this lifestyle, but I'm also quite lucky. You know, I come from a middle-class family. They paid for me to go to college, so I didn't have any student loans. I am very privileged in ways that other folks aren't. And so I recognize that folks who lack some of those things, it becomes much more difficult. I would say part of what you can do, whether you are or aren't, and again, it becomes more difficult if you aren't born into some sort of privilege. But one thing that you can do is just be really honest with yourself about what it is that you like doing. And I think the most interesting thing about people is that I'm convinced that most people don't actually know what they like and don't like. And so it takes a really, really deep self-assessment to start to understand, like, what do I actually like versus, like, what do I think I should be doing to impress other people? It's like, what do I actually like doing? Once you sort of realize what you like doing and what you don't like doing, you can start making small bets to start to increase the likelihood that you do more of those things that you like and decrease the likelihood that you do less of the things that you don't. And that just kind of comes through you know, a real hard, deep look at how you spend your time, right? And most people work 40-hour work weeks because that's what we were taught to do. I think ultimately we can get a lot done in a, in a lot less time if we're focused on the right things. And then that additional free time becomes time that you can spend 
sometimes as you please. Other people have, you know, three, four, five kids. They have, you know, other responsibilities, so it becomes more difficult. But if you do have some free time, I highly recommend starting to create something around your obsession, the things you love doing, and take people along on that journey, even if it's small, even if it's one piece of content a day, because over the course of time, you can start to make a little bit of money, a little bit of side income, get a few followers. And if you can grow that slowly but surely over time, you can start to lean on that a little bit more instead of your huge nine to five role that you spend a lot of time in. And that is the beginning of sort of controlling your income, controlling your revenue, controlling your life. It's not easy, but if you can find a little bit of free time by focusing on the things that matter, I think it's more likely to happen. Mm, yeah, that makes complete sense. Starting small and little by little it, it growing. I could relate to this one quite well. I feel as it relates to being like a content creator, maybe making like figuring out how to make a dollar might be fairly simple. It's how do you turn that into $3,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 or a meaningful amount of income to replace your income from whether it be a job or a business or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you thought about that as you were building your business. You know, I think it reminds me of my wife's very passionate about baking. And I told her, hey, why don't you start something on the side? Start selling, start baking. She was already baking a lot, but I said, start selling the baked goods and like, see how it goes. See if you like it. Because she always said, you know, she would love to own a bakery one day. And she started selling these cookies at, at a farmer's market. But, you know, figuring out how to make a couple hundred dollars from that is fairly simple, right? Like you're going to make the goods for X, you're going to sell them for Y, you're going to go to this thing every single week. But figuring out how to do that on like a much bigger scale is, I think, can be a little bit more overwhelming. Certainly. One way that I, I think about it is I don't think about making money doing it or making sales. I think about growing an audience of people that are interested in what I'm doing because an audience is leverage. I recommend people don't think about sales or money. They think about building leverage. So for example, in your wife's example, right? Rather than selling cookies or going to the farmer's market, it's about creating as much content as possible to attract other people who want to bake in the same way that she does. And doing that for a significant amount of time before trying to monetize. I think people try and monetize very, very early. By the way, you want to go to the farmer's market, sell cookies, awesome. Like I'm not suggesting that's a bad idea. But what I mean is, if you can go from 1,000 followers to 5,000 to 50,000 to 100,000, and they're all your ideal follower, the person who wants to come along with you on your journey, then you have leverage. You know, an, an audience of the right followers gives you this leverage where you can start to do things that at first glance might not appear as valid as going to a farmer's market and selling cookies. You can go to the market, you can sell the cookies. You can also sell videos. You can also build a course on how to bake. You can also write a recipe ebook and sell that online. You can also be an affiliate for all these different baking and cooking products. And pretty soon, instead of trying to make a hundred grand a year selling cookies at the farmer's market, you're making 20 grand a year at the farmer's market, 15 grand a year at affiliates. You're selling 30K of your cookbook. You're doing 40K on your YouTube channel. You're doing some advertising. Like, there's a million different ways to sort of slice it up. And I think the thing that I love about building multiple revenue streams, which is how my business works, is to me, it's just like this portfolio Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Go of low risk, right? Where if tomorrow all my coaching clients went away, I'd still have my courses, my affiliates, my community, like all these different things. It's hard to lose all your customers from all your different businesses all in one day. But if you have one revenue stream, that can go away. So that's sort of how I think about it. Audience first, build that leverage, and then turn that leverage into a diversified set of revenue streams that allows you to de-risk sort of your career. That makes a lot of sense. You had the professional experience and the know-how to, to back it up. But someone like who might just be hearing that might say, I feel like an, I'm an imposter. You know, I've, I've never owned a bakery. How am I just going to start making content or building a community around baking and things like that? How do you navigate that association that someone might have in their head? Like, I can't just start making content around this. I just like baking things. So think of it this way. Expertise is linear, right? So to the person who has never baked before, if you have baked for 10 months, you're an expert, right? But the person who has baked 10 months compared to, I don't know, any famous bakers, Christina Tosi, who runs Milk Bar, right? Like you you're go. not- you know, you're, you know one. I know one, right? <laughs> you're not quite the expert anymore. So Christina Tosi, who runs Milk Bar and has her set of companies is an expert in, I think, a lot of folks' eyes. But like the first time baker probably can't learn as much from the woman who's been baking for 25 years as they can from someone who's just three to six months ahead of them on the journey. And so you're not trying to impress the Christina Tosis. You're, you're trying to impress the person who three months ago decided they wanted to start baking and is looking for someone who's a little more educated, just went through the challenges that they, they're facing right now and solve them. And that's how you think about expertise. For example, when I built my first sales consulting business, I went out and said, I've built a bunch of healthcare SaaS companies to 50 million in recurring. And to me, I thought that for folks who are at 1 million and 5 million and 10 million, that that would be interesting. And it was. But if I had said to myself, oh, there's a lot of other companies that are at 100 million or 500 million or a billion and let myself be distracted by that or, or feel as though I didn't have anything to offer because I wasn't the biggest or the quote unquote best, then I never would have gotten started. And so find the folks that are two to three months, years, steps behind you on the journey. And that's the audience that you want to build. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I heard that before that it's easier, you know, if you're, if someone's only two steps ahead of you, it's very easy to feel like, oh, I can get to where they are in very practical steps. It might sound a little bit repetitive because I know that it sounds like you were very practical and just little by little, you sort of continued to de-risk or gain more confidence. Hey, there's an opportunity to build a business here. But like, how did you decide, it might've just been data, but how did you decide like, I'm going to double down and become the, the LinkedIn guy? I don't know if that's like a gross oversimplification. Of yeah, no, it's okay. It's to <laughs> totally fine. I don't really care what people call me as long as they like to follow what I do. You know, it started by just really listening to what people were asking. So, you know, there's a story I've told in a few podcasts, but I'll, I'll repeat it just in case someone hasn't heard it. But like, 
I was really going down the road. I was building a really successful consulting business and I was going to go down the road of building sales courses to allow, you know, senior and middle managers to move their way up to the executive suite. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was an employee of mine, Kevin Dorsey. He was my VP of inside sales. And I was telling him this idea of creating these courses. And he basically said, everyone's creating sales courses. Why don't you create something that's a little bit different? Why don't you tell people how you're so successful on LinkedIn? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I never really thought about that. And I didn't actually want to be a LinkedIn guy, right? Like, that was part of what I didn't want to be. But I went into my DMs on LinkedIn and started reading them. And like 90% of the questions were, how do you write? How do you create content? How are you growing so fast? Where do you get your ideas? And so I just tested a hypothesis where I was like, I'm going to put together a course. It's $50. Who wants to buy it? And I sold $75,000 worth of it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. A lot of people want to buy it. <laughs> a lot of people want to buy this. That's cool. So I like was like, cool, I'll move that direction instead. And so I kind of went through that direction. And then as I learned more about content creation systems and building revenue streams, everything that I was learning, I just packaged up into a course and sold it online for an affordable price. And as that went on, like people wanted to have more one-on-one -on -one time. So I opened up coaching and then I found out that people wanted a place where they can meet other creators. So I started a community and, you know, it just sort of all came out of really just listening to what people were asking for, which is no different than any business where you, you listen to what your customers want. Mm. I obviously follow you on LinkedIn. Your wife also has like her own community on LinkedIn, correct? Mm -hmm. The money school, correct? Correct. Yep. All right. So your wife also built money school. I'm very curious, do you guys decide to start this together? <laughs> was it, hey, you figured out this this recipe, this playbook, how to go about building on LinkedIn? And like, how, how did that come about? Because what's fascinating about that is that you look at your wife's content as well. And for anyone who's like doubting or questioning or, hey, does, how does this work? How do you really build on LinkedIn? It's like amazing to see that you have your channel, she has hers, and that they're both obviously working extremely well. Yeah. My wife's brand on LinkedIn came out of a different sort of realization, which is much, maybe not so different, but a different path. So when I was going down my consulting and advising route from SaaS companies, I was like, I don't really want to do this anymore. And I actually really like all this social media stuff. And everyone was asking me to build these things. And so it was like a natural progression. Whereas my wife and I worked together at a previous company and my wife ran global office operations. So she was the person who made sure that the Indian office looked like the New York office and made sure that the Arizona office looked like the Indian office and through huge events and managed the real estate portfolio. And she was really, really good at those things. And so she, she decided to take her professional skills and go out there and try and create her own business. What my wife ran into was she didn't actually enjoy doing those things. And I think that's common amongst a lot of us where the things that we learn in our professional lives, we do it for a paycheck. But at the end of the day, if given the opportunity to do it for free, we'd be like, no way, it's not enjoyable. And so my wife ran into that problem and ultimately she closed down her first business. And when we were sitting around one day having a conversation, she had recently gotten into taking over our family money and managing it rather than a financial advisor because my wife's father was a stockbroker. My wife has been very interested in the finance and finances in the stock market for a very long time. And she saw some things she didn't like. And so she started managing our finances. 
And out of that, she was like, I love this. She loves the market. She loves Warren Buffett. She loves reading about everything finance. She's read every finance book under the sun and she's obsessed. And so I was like, you should talk about this. And she had a lot of those same things you asked about in that previous question, which is like, why me? I'm not an expert. And I'm just like, you know, way more than I know, which means, you know, way more than lots of other people know. So like go out there and share what you know. And so she did. And that's been the beginning of a 90,000 person following on LinkedIn and building her courses and building her own business. That's absolutely amazing. What would you say would be the like the first practical steps if you wanted to start to leverage LinkedIn? And I'm going to obviously include your website and everything else in the show notes because sure. I know that there's you get a lot of that just from following you. But if someone wanted to level up their LinkedIn game to try to start using it to build a little bit of a community, what would be your your advice there? Yeah, start talking about why you're worth following. So go and build your profile up. Who are you and what do you do and why should someone follow you, right? Like not account executive at company or founder at brand. It's like, why should I follow you? So like, for example, I'm building a diversified portfolio of one person businesses to 5 million in revenue. Like that's interesting to somebody, I hope, and hopefully my target audience, right? And so that's why I talk about you should follow me if you want to learn how to do that. My wife's the same way. If you want to demystify the stock market, you should follow her. And so go out there and figure out what it is that you can talk about every single day that you're absolutely obsessed with, that you're going on a journey to learn, and then tell other people why they should follow you using your profile and using your content. Once you've designed a basic fundamental profile that tells people why they should follow you, start taking people on your journey. I, I call it live streaming, which I know what live streaming means in the sense of like video games and videos and things like that. But this is like a different kind of live stream. It's, it's almost like pretending as though you're live all the time as you're going on your journey and everything that you acquire, every piece of knowledge, every failure, every win, every learning, share it. Because somebody else is going on that journey too. They're just a few steps behind you and you become the exact person that they've been looking for. And if you can find a thousand or 5,000 or 10,000 of those people, suddenly you have a pretty interesting business. So if you have 10,000 people who are following right behind you and they're so excited by what you do and you have a $10 product, it's $100,000. And I think people forget about the math behind making an income online. It's really about those true fans, Kevin Kelly, 1,000 True Fans, famous article. It's really about finding those people who will buy everything you do the same way that you probably buy every album from your favorite band, every book from your favorite author, that's the way that I think about creating a business online, and I encourage other people to as well. How do you think about some of the other platforms? You know, like there's there's obviously so many mediums where you can be creating content, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. How do you choose which, like it's very hard, especially if you're just getting started, to mm-hmm. be in all places in a meaningful way, especially. How do you decide like what platforms to focus on, what platforms to ignore? Well, the name of the game is consistency. And so with that being said, people are like, you got to be on YouTube. You got to be on TikTok. You got to be on Twitter. You don't, you don't got to be anywhere. The best place for you to be is the place that you're most likely to continue being. So for example, I don't like to turn the phone around or the video camera on on myself. I don't like that. I don't mind being a guest on podcasts. I don't mind being interviewed. But for me to like turn my phone around and record myself, (laughs) I just don't feel comfortable doing that. So therefore, YouTube and TikTok are not the right platforms for me. I like to write. I love to write. 
And so LinkedIn and Twitter are platforms that are more suitable for how I like to create. And instead of forcing myself to do something that I don't like doing and therefore quitting or giving up or, or you know, not being in the game for a long time, it's easy for me to write because I enjoy it. So I pick platforms that match up with the things that I enjoy. And by doing the things that I enjoy every day, I'm much more likely to stay consistent. And by staying consistent, I'm much more likely to be successful. So that's how I think about it. Makes complete sense. I just want to highlight as well, one of the things that and I feel like you probably get this all the time, but one of the things that definitely stood out to me after buying your course, again, been following you for a long time. After buying the course, you see how much thought strategy is going behind the content that you're putting out in the world. And you know, you could tell that it's not like you're just sitting in front of your phone for 30 minutes, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna post this on LinkedIn or Twitter. There's a real strategy behind the execution and the tactics that you're applying to building your business. Yeah, for sure. And I'll say this in like, I hope it doesn't come across arrogantly because it's not my intention. My intention is to describe what I think my competitive advantage is. But like, I love what I'm doing. So it's going to be really, really hard to like, to beat me at that because I love it. Like I can do it all day from morning till night and I love doing it. Other people are slogging through it. They hate it. They're doing it because they think they have to do it. They're doing it because they they think it's the only way to grow their business and they think it's something that you have to do today and they're like, they don't like it and I do like it. And so that's why I always recommend like Jennifer, my wife, she loves the market. She doesn't care about global office operations. She loves the stock market. And so it's easy for her to write about that every day. It's easy for her to read about that, learn about that, talk about that. It becomes really hard to beat someone when they like what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, to that end, you know, we, I know we spoke a lot about intention and I feel like, you know, that is when, when I look at and after speaking with you, you know, your early career versus where you are today, it's like you put a lot of emphasis into the intention behind your life and the intention to mapping more things to living a life of happiness. I'm curious what advice you would give someone to actually build their own life of happiness and what advice that you feel they should maybe ignore as it relates to trying to maximize their own happiness. Yeah, I would say that the first thing that I might ignore is just like and this is going to sound really weird in the context of the fact that we're recording a podcast about it, but like, don't ignore, but take with a grain of salt, everything that I just said and everything that everybody else says about building a life of intention, because everyone's journey is different, right? Like pull nuggets here, take a few best practices there, but your journey is going to be your journey. And really it's all about you understanding what it is that you like doing and don't like doing the best way to go on that journey is to start. Like, yes, you can learn a little bit. Yes, you can read my newsletter or anyone else's or blogs or tweet threads or whatever. But at some point, the biggest thing that, that people don't do is start. That's why they never live a life of intention. Not because they don't know how or they didn't read enough. Or they just don't try. They don't finally say, I'm going to get started. And getting started doesn't mean quitting your job and doing only things that you like doing and nothing that you don't like doing. It means taking step one of a million. It's the first step in a marathon. And that looks different for everyone else. For some people, that's writing their first piece of content. For other people, that's sitting down and looking at their calendar and saying, what do I actually hate doing? That's on my calendar way too frequently. For other people, it's sitting down and thinking, do I have any free time at my current job that allows me to be creative outside of work? If not, maybe it's time to look for another employment opportunity. Whatever it is, just take step one, knowing that the eventual outcome is a life of intention. Once you take step one, you're going to learn a little bit. Then take step two. And that step might be different 
for a hundred different people, but get started. Because when you get started, you learn. And when you learn, you grow. And when you grow, you move from step to step to step. So read a blog post, listen to a podcast, shut your computer down and go take some form of action with the North Star being a more intentional life. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Did you always think about money, how you think about it now where, you know, I know at the beginning of the show, you, you mentioned how you're not trying to build this business that's doing, let's say 10, 15, 30, like you don't care to build that. Mm -mm. Is that how you always thought about money or is that something that, is that like a more evolved thought that you developed over time? Because, you know, some people are just trying to like, they're thinking I want to maximize every dollar I can make. But in reality, it's like, they don't really want to do that. They, they want to live a life on their own terms, similar to how you're living it today. Well, it came from number one, just getting older, right? Like I'm in my f early forties. So, you know, I thought about money differently when I was 28, right? When I was 28, it was about getting money to get nice clothes, to meet a partner, right? Like that's how you think about as a young man, right? Before you're married. Once you're married and you start making a little bit more money and your priorities change, you start to realize a few things. Number one is going from, and I'm just picking, these, are, these numbers are arbitrary. So like insert whatever number makes you comfortable. Going from 100 grand to 150 grand means nothing in terms of happiness. Now, it might mean something in terms of providing food to your family and doing all those things. So I'm not poo-pooing making an extra 50 grand a year. So please don't uh, take it that way. What I mean is the more money you make, definitely not the happier you are. Like I can say that as someone who has increased their income year over year for many years, I'm not significantly happier through the money. Money I made three years ago, I could be living the same life that I live today. To me, it's all about thinking about what I want that money to represent. And to me, that money represents time. And to me, that money represents sort of being able to do what I want. And so I've never really thought of money as like maximize 10 million or maximize 20 million or 50 million because those sums of money will generally buy you things. I'm not interested in things. There's a threshold of money that you need to make to enjoy experiences. And once you get to that number where you can enjoy experiences, to me, every other dollar above that is, I mean, I hate to sound like, you know, notorious B.I.G., but it's like, it's just problematic, right? Like <laughs> it actually isn't that great. So I think more about stabilizing the amount of money I make, reducing the amount of time I spend doing work and maximizing the amount of t time I spend doing things that I enjoy. I don't know if that made sense, but that's just how I think about it. No, abs absolutely. Is there any question that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't? Good question. No, I don't, I don't think that there's a question that I wish you would have asked that you didn't. I think one thing that people often assume is that because I've had some success in building what I might call an intentional lifestyle, where I'm doing more things that I enjoy and less things that I don't, and business is going well, that somehow that means that you don't face similar problems to what you used to face when you had a nine to five job and were spending a lot of time doing things that you don't enjoy doing. And that's not really true. I think what you end up facing when you get into a position where, especially if you use social media to grow a following, to grow a business, you face a lot of other really challenging and problematic things, such as a lot of people are pretty mean, right? Like people can be mean and cruel and nasty in an attempt to tear you down. 
And we're all just people, right? So I'm just a person behind a computer screen. And so we all have feelings. That's not a fun experience often. My wife can attest to that as well, especially watching someone tear down your spouse or, or things like that is actually really problematic. You have to be really defensive about your time. Being popular on social media, for lack of a better description, means having to be extremely defensive of your time. And when you're defensive of your time, that also makes other people upset who believe that they have every right to access your time. So there's a whole new set of problems that come with building a business like this. By the way, super privileged problems, like problems that I have no problem addressing and, and working through. And But there's still a set of problems that everyone goes through. So one thing that I would just recommend is as you get deeper in the journey, make sure you don't get pulled back into a scenario where suddenly working for yourself is not too dissimilar from working for somebody else and doing a lot of things you don't like doing. So be cognizant of that because it happens quickly. <laughs> mm. That's certainly interesting to hear. I think self-awareness is definitely like, and it sounds like, you know, you certainly are very self-aware, but it sounds like that's something that anyone can sort of apply in their life, whether it be working for another company or working for yourself, but having that self-awareness will steer you in, in the right direction in terms of just building the life that you ultimately want. I think so. Self-awareness is key. Where can listeners connect with you, find you, follow you? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I have a personal website. It's justinwelsh.me. That's Justin, W-E-L-S-H dot M-E. You can go there and you can learn about my businesses, take a look at some of my courses, or you can join 35,000 other entrepreneurs who subscribe to my newsletter, which is called The Saturday Solopreneur, which is one simple audience and business growth tip that I send out every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time that you can read in four minutes or less, guaranteed. And it's good. I'm there. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it and a great interview. All the links for this episode can be found in the show notes. Your challenge for this week is to start living with more intention in your own life. I want you to take out a pen and paper and think about some things you want in a year from now. They can be business-related, travel-related, health-related, personal goals. They could be related to relationships. Whatever it is, I want you to think about three to five things that you really want. I want you to write them down. On this piece of paper, once you write them down, call a friend and tell them about it. If you want, send a picture of this to them. And on this paper, sign it, date it, and hang it on your wall. I want you to think about some of these things that you really want in your life. This is the foundation for intentional living, for becoming more intentional around the things that you want. Let me know how it goes. I want to hear from you. Shoot me a message on Instagram. You can find me at Dan Lev Goldberg, D-A-N Lev L-E-V Goldberg, or at the Bits of Gold podcast to share some things that you'll be working on this week to become more intentional. Finally, if you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you do, I'll probably read it out or give it a shout out on one of our social media platforms in the upcoming weeks. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day. I'll see you next time. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.